Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, my guest is Eduardo Strauch. Eduardo was born in 1947 in Montevideo, Uruguay. In 1968, he opened an architectural studio with his best friend from childhood, Marcello Perez. He's worked as an architect and painter, and for many years, he's lectured about his experience surviving 72 days in the Andes after the legendary 1972 plane crash on the Chilean-Argentine border. His book about that experience is Out of the Silence After the Crash. He's married to Laura Braga. They have five children and live in Montevideo. Welcome, Eduardo. Thank you very much. It's good to have it's good to have you, and I'm really looking forward to talking about the book um, because I'm I'm a, one one particular reason, many reasons, but one particular reason is I am very very interested in the way that early loss experiences kind of impact the whole way we look at at life going forward. You wrote about your experience much a long time after it it happened, and that interests me very much. Yeah. So maybe you could start by uh, letting people know a little bit about your story and what prompted you to finally write it down. Well, yeah, yeah, forty years, no, forty, forty-seven years ago, I had that so sad and terrible experience to have been in a crash in the middle of the Andes at the end of a springtime and to have spent uh, 72 days and 72 nights over there just stranded in the middle of nothing. Mm. The most aggressive uh, songs of, of the planet without just uh, stones and ice and snow. But after that very tough and sad experience, well, you, you can imagine how we, we suffered. We were very young men, about around 19, 20, I was 25, I was one of the older ones. But when I came out, I came out with a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge about myself, about human beings, about life, about death about grief. So I have a, a long process to put all my ideas and my feelings in order. And uh, I start needing to transfer all my experience and start with, with the lectures around the world, trying to transmit my experience to people because I knew that it has not it is very useful for many people for their lives. 
So it is a really unique experience. And now I'm really I'm grateful because all that uh, sadness and that uh, struggle and all that uh, pain, it is transformed, transformed in something very positive in, in my life. And uh, as I said, uh, it transmits to, to many people. Many people take what they want to take, what they need to take about the, from the story for, for applying in their lives. And uh, I think it's uh, very grateful for me, you know, because I know mm. it, it helps many people. Even we we changed the ideas of many people who were just decided to commit suicide. And when they met a story, they read something or, or they saw a documentary or whatever, they changed the ideas and uh, absolutely changed the, the way of, of living and, and they started enjoying life. It's really amazing for me. Mm. Very, so interesting. It's incredible. And and not uncommon. I, I feel as if uh, there's so much power when we find our way through unimaginable types of loss. Uh, certainly before before I my major loss, I couldn't have imagined anything positive coming out of it, you know. But the fact is that ultimately once we've made our way, sort of integrated what's happening to us. We do have something to offer, don't you feel? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And at the moment of the loss, of the suffering, you can't imagine that you will take something positive from that. But, uh, but you can. And we do. And we did. And we also, sure we also frequently have an impulse to, uh, of generosity, of giving. Out of those experiences, I find, of course, every almost everyone that I interview on this show uh, has that impulse because they've done something as a result of their loss uh, that is a giving act. You know, written something to share, yes, yes. done done meaningful work that refers to that experience. So it's not uncommon at all, is it? And it is and I really you're you're sure. You start needing to, to to give something to to, to transmit to give what, what you learned. Yes, yeah. it's happened to, to all of us. I think it's a it's a kind of um, mystical story in a way. Uh, what what uh, the impetus, the kind of um, trigger point for your writing the book? Would you read the part of your book? about uh, Ricardo Peña's discovery? It's so, so amazing, so awesome, so, so incredible too. Huh? Excuse me? Yes. Yes. You want me to read it? Yes, absolutely. Let's let people hear your book a little bit. <laughs> okay. I don't, I'm just looking for it. If you have... You can oh. read it yourself because I have marked some other parts. Uh, oh, okay. I, I'll read, read it. That part. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I would like to, to listen to you. All right, sounds good. Uh, I I have find, found sometimes when I read it has an impact on the person I'm interviewing because you're not used to hearing it without also being yeah. reading at the same time. So we'll see how that That's is. That's it. 
<laughs> in 2005. You know, that, that happened to me when I first the first time I listened to the audiobook. I'll bet. Quite a dif- different <laughs> sensation. Different experience. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what comes of that. In 2005, Ricardo Pena made the discovery of my jacket with my documents and wallet in the pocket and my sunglasses as well, without the lenses, a few yards away. It was so unexpected and so unusual, which I saw as a suggestion that the moment had come for me to share my experience beyond the scope of my family and friends to which it had always been restricted. The fact that my belongings, which in some way represented my very identity, lying for decades exposed to the harsh weather of the mountain, as likely to be covered by snow as punished by the rain, the sun, and the wind, had surfaced in such an extraordinary way, seemed to be an invitation to bring to light something that deserved to be shared, telling me that it had spent enough time in the silent permanence of the mountain." Ricardo, who at that time didn't know me personally, though he was familiar with our story, carried down my wallet and the other documents to send to me. When I received his call, I was very grateful, but I couldn't hide my disappointment that he hadn't brought down my jacket as well, but had left it at the spot in accordance with the mountaineering ethic to leave found objects in their place. He responded that if that was my wish, he would go back on a future trip and try to find my jacket again, which at first didn't seem an easy task. In 2006 and 2007, Ricardo, who was by that time a good friend of mine, went back to search the area, but on both occasions, the spot where he had found my belongings was covered in a thick layer of snow. On our expedition to the valley in 2008, he went back up the mountain to try again while I stayed down at the base camp. I will never forget the joy I felt on hearing his news over the walkie-talkie, Eduardo, I found your coat. When he returned to camp with my coat, which I still recognized, despite how threadbare and faded it was, I put it on with deep emotion and that simple act was like starting a new beginning. The mountain had given me back my coat, as if to challenge my promise to it, 35 years earlier, that a part of me would always remain buried beneath its snow. It's time, it seemed to say, to become unburied. Time to share the many things I had learned from the silence of my mountain. You know, that final two words, my mountain, that felt so deeply true to me reading the book. I get that every time I read it or I listen to it. I I really like that part. Yeah, I, you know it is absolutely because yeah. you've gone you've gone back several times, haven't you? Excuse me. You have gone back to you. your mountain oh, uh, yeah. a few different times. I mean, yeah. that's a reference point in your life, yeah. isn't it? Fifteen times, I, I went back again to the place. I'm connected with the mountain. I never get out of the mountain. You never get out of the mountain. Hmm. Never. I part of, of myself is on the mountain, and it always will be. Will be, and my ashes will be up there too. I ask all my the people around me to take my ashes to that place, my place. I'm connected where I lived all the moments, the most important and moving and. Uh, 
unimaginable moments of my life. I live up there, so I want to return at last up there. One thing I'm really curious about, um, which you didn't talk a lot about in the book, uh, some, but not a lot, is that you actually lost a great many people, many of whom you knew quite well, um, you know, in the process of the crash, not not during the time you were on the mountain, but right away as a result of the crash. And so, in a sense, you were hurtled into grief, but you were more primarily hurtled into uh, survival, I guess. Uh, and I wondered if you were, uh, all of you were aware of grieving the loss of these people that until the moment before the crash you were traveling with, or whether that had to be put on hold in a way until you were in a safer situation. Uh, how was that for you? You know that uh, our mind and, and our bodies doesn't permit us to suffer at the moment. As you suffer or you cry or you get uh, shocked when some loved, loved one passed away, died just here in civilization. Up there, I remember the first moment when my, my cousin Daniel Shaw, he died in the, in the crash and uh, other friends, and Marcelo, my, my best friend, he was sleeping or trying to sleep just on, on my left the, the night of the avalanche, and he died just beside me. And uh, when I realized, I tried to uncover his face, taking the snow and the, the ice from his face, I found him dead. And I felt something very strong, but just something in- instantly. And mm-hmm. immediately, I got with that feeling and continued struggling to survive. And uh, it was very dangerous to to get sad and to start crying. Or So we, we couldn't do it. We could not do it. Our mind doesn't permit us to do it. So one of the reasons because I, I'm coming every year again to, to that place is to, to grieve my friends and to, to cry just beside the, the cross because now I could cry. I have uh, enough liquid in my, my body and uh, it's amazing because every time I went there, it's just a... It's a it's, it has been the, the first moment, and uh, I feel that my friends died uh, just a few weeks before. It's so so present in, in my mind and my feelings. So there's that sense of you know one thing about long long time grief is that um, I don't think of grief as ending. We move forward, but there are still those moments yeah. when when we when we feel it acutely, um, if for less time and less often, but that fits with that idea I have about it, that um, there are still those moments that are filled with tears and perhaps more so because you couldn't, uh, you know, you couldn't kind of throw yourself over to it right away, given your 
dire circumstance. Um, but I, but I also that that brings up a another uh, wondering of mine, which is to be the one that survives in a situation. I think there's a place in your book where you talk about having recently moved seats um, before the crash. So it could have been, you could have been one of the ones that didn't survive, but then you did survive. And um, the kind of imponderable quality of that, the arbitrariness of the world sometimes, uh, no rhyme or reason is there. Yeah, you know, many of us, the of the one who, who who survived, the ones who survived, they ask for themselves, no? why me and why not my friend that he was better than me or he was why me, why me? But uh, I, I never asked that question because uh, I knew I will not have the answer. So I just uh, look forward trying to take all of the positive uh, that I, I could take from, from that experience and uh, and go ahead. I, I never think about that. Why? What? Why myself? Why I survived? Why they didn't? Why my friends? Or my friend, he didn't. That's the the way that it works in my in my head all, all this time. Well, that's a that's a. Uh, blessing to you to not have that because sometimes people give them, uh, you know, spin around on that question uh, for for quite some time, both in good, you know, uh, for instance, when people get cancer diagnoses and such like that, uh, they can spin around on why me a great deal as well. So your your principle is is kind of, well, it just was me. And where do I go from here? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I feel. That's the way I, I did. Do, and uh, many, many of us, in many cases, similar of of our experience or DC, they felt uh, they feel guilty because they survived, and the others didn't. I never, never felt felt that that feeling. I, I almost get the impression that you have lived your life more more fully as the one who survived, uh, you know, that you kind of revel in what you've been allowed to experience because you lived. Did I get that right? Is that something you feel? Yes, exactly that. And uh, I, I really, so many times, people ask me, and uh, if I would like to have passed through that experience or not. And uh, beside all the suffering and the deaths and all that, of course, uh, I don't like, I don't like that, and uh, I would prefer not that that to happen. But uh, I feel lucky that I went through that experience because I went out to really enrich with so many, as I said at the beginning, with so many lessons of so many things. Mm. And uh, after I, having seen so clear 
what's important in, in life and what is not. So I really feel lucky and uh, I want to, I want to, I want to get on to those, um, to those lessons after this break here, because uh, some of them we've just referred to, but there are really a lot more. So uh, let's, let's go more deeply into that when we come back. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Also, there is a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc., etc. And then to find Eduardo Strauch, you you can find out more about Eduardo at eduardostrauch.com, E-D-U-A-R-D-O-S-T-R-A-U-C-H.com. And to find the book, just go to wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes Noble, etc. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress, anxiety, and relationships. Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. 
This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Eduardo Strauch, author of Out of the Silence, about his experience uh, surviving on a mountain for 72 days in the Andes after a plane crash. And before the break, Eduardo, we were talking, we were just beginning to talk about, uh, you you were saying that um, you've been more and more feeling gratitude for the those experiences because they yeah. changed you. They they um, uh, illuminated you. I guess I want to say. Can you? Yeah, absolutely. Can you, that's the word. Can you say some about what you what what became different in you uh, as a result of going through that experience? Well, we stayed there and we were without anything, just ourselves, our, our minds, our intelligence, our feelings. We have no food, no water. It's very difficult to make water with, with snow. And at the beginning, we have all the snow with, uh, with fuel, with kerosene, with, with the engines all around. We couldn't make water, melt the snow to make water. We didn't have a warm, warm clothes. We don't know where we are. We were, so the, the ge- geographic point we didn't know. It's not not the altitude. So we have just a ragged, a piece of of, of a, a fuselage, and uh, and our ma- minds, our intelligence. So we start to organize very fast. That's amazing too. How fast we we get used to to the situation. We adapt ourselves and, and our minds to to that. We start organizing a, a new society with everything so different to, to this society, and we must left all all the all right, habits and ways we we live here just to begin a absolutely different way to to live. And we realize that the, there are so few things that you need. Really, to to live and uh, and to enjoy, we realize the importance of love. The first of all, because love was absolutely the most important love between us, mm-hmm. the love love of our lives, and uh, in the first place, the love for our family, for our beloved ones that are wait they were waiting for us. That was the, the, the real reason that we struggled for two months and a half, and, and we did it because we need to reach our homes and hug uh, our parents and our beloved ones. All the rest, we really realized that it was not important at all. Mm. The cars or the clothes or traveling or sophisticated food, even now, so, so many years later, I, I have very clear that to be happy, we don't need all those that things that we run for it in, in this civilization of the consumism. That's one of, one of the really important things that I learned, that it's, a, it's not the, the right way to find happiness, just running to get a new car and clothes, uh, luxury and, and all that you can be happy with just very very few and I say again love is, is absolutely the most important love to nature 
love to people, love to your friends, your family. Love, 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 love. It's just very love, love, love. All of us. It, yes. It's it's honestly so similar to the way that people who have died and been resuscitated describe that experience. That uh, I, I've heard many people say, you know, in in those experiences, the only important thing is love. Uh, so that, to me, the power, the power of love. Yeah. So that to me says that you there's a similar, and of I would say the same of the uh, dying time of my wife, that other things became very unimportant compared with love Mm -hmm. uh, when she was dying. So that may be some essential spiritual truth. Uh, Do you imagine so? That 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 is what we're uh, most primarily made of. But I know there was also a lot of hard work. And one thing that I, this connects with the idea of love, but also with the idea of survival. Uh, you talked a lot in the book about feeling as if you were one body, uh, as if you were moving together as a unit, Yes. each playing your part, but that there was a greater sense of you as a, a unified whole. Uh can you talk a little more about that? Because I think that just um, connected with me very strongly, the idea of you moving as a body, because I know there had to be probably leadership in certain areas or certain talents that different people had that really had a significant impact. But how did you experience the part where you were kind of uh, at one together or in this uh, in one body together? You mean all the group? Yes, all the group, all the sixteen yes. of you. Yeah, it was really interesting when when we we think about and studied from the outside now, and uh, we see that we we work just like a like an organ, just one thing. We're pieces of, of something of one organ. Everybody did what he could do the best. And uh, really, we work like like an organ, like, like one, uh, like like something organic, one 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 organ, one one piece. And it was amazing. One of the so many things that we learned too is the the capabilities and the power of our minds, and uh, much more than we imagine. Mm. To create, to we must create everything, near everything, to to survive. To adapt, as I said before, we are amazing and super machines. But when we are here in the civilization, we don't use you just we just use a small part of all the capabilities and the power that we have. And that's what one of the most important things I learned too. And even now that uh, we are all doing a, a our lives, normal lives, the 16 that survive, we still are a kind of, of organ and uh, we are all very close and trying to know about each other, something indestructible. 
you're, more than brothers and, and friends. You're, you're intrinsically connected as one. Uh, it, it reminds me of something one of my teachers used to say too, which is that the he had an idea that we have different bodies, one of which was a spiritual body. And he used to say, the only injury possible to the spiritual body is the illusion of separateness, um, <laughs> which I I like a lot. And uh, and I think of it when you say that you know you you experience that oneness uh, that in our everyday yeah. lives we often do not. And I'm also aware that there was a sense of oneness with your environment, which was so harsh and yet beautiful. I'd love to read a, a piece from the book that that talks about that. And the, okay, and the part like about that. the humans, too. Uh, you say, we, we are no longer insignificant beings facing the void as long as our emotions make us participants in that immensity. Sometimes in the harshest of circumstances, our ability for awe remains. I remember how in my brief and imprudent nightly trips outside the fuselage just after the crash, I stayed outside staring at the mountain at as as it was at night, bathed in the soft azure glow of the stars. There was something unfathomable in its beauty, something capable of captivating me and making me feel so fulfilled that it was always an effort to cut that dialogue short. I didn't want to leave it, but if I lingered too long out in the elements, I could die. I find myself again in the magnificent backdrop of those powerful moments, which even then, we knew we would never forget. And the little routines that I remember just as well, the daily work, efficient and organized, the ideas discussed quietly between us, the plans and backup plans, thinking about them over and over, the sudden attacks of fear and doubt, the praying of the rosary, the tears, which were always one blink away, but which I never allowed myself, the periods of surrender in the middle of despair, the laughter that followed a joke, renewed hope, the intense and unexpected states of spiritual fullness that started occurring more and more frequently. I am now alone in that same place on the mountain where we had been ephemeral visitors in that deep silence of the snow that for a time absorbed our voices. Such a beautiful capturing uh, to me of the (laughs) possibility (laughs) <laughs> the the possibility, and, and I'm remembering moments like this for myself, where if someone looked from the outside, uh, they would imagine my experience was totally negative, but it wasn't. It wasn't totally yeah, negative, <laughs> you know, and and that's such a Many shock, isn't it? I didn't understand how, how I, I could leave those moments of, of happiness in, the, in, yeah. in that situation, but it's possible. It, it feels to me like it has something to do that with that um, that connection to something beyond right now, uh, something bigger. Yeah. Um, and you had a very big something bigger, which was a, you know, snow-covered uh, Andes Mountain. But I'm thinking the night sky and the stars and... Uh, the most you know, pure place and atmosphere, and the, the most absolutely silent. So you can, you you could connect with with the universe, with with a, that bigger something. 
Was that was that something that you all talked about or just kind of a shared experience that you had? If I if I what? Did you speak about no. that together, the sixteen of you? Uh no, or not, not at this at that moment, no. We all tried to, to get uh, different tools to to support what we were suffering. Some we, we did, did that. We disconnect with the situation, with the moment, and connect with the universe and with something big, bigger. And others use different tools. But some of us, yes, we we we, we feel felt the same, and uh, we lived that, that magnificent experience. We talk about that after afterwards. Afterwards, uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And many, many of my of my brothers, as we call between us, brothers, brothers of the mountain, they don't understand how I, I still going every year to the mountain. Well, because I want to to be close to those incredible moments I live over there, and, and I and cried for my friends, and uh, well, I have many reasons to to go each year again and again. And I, I came back purified when I returned from, from the Andes each year. And it's difficult, again, to to touch the, the land. I stay in a special state, spiritual state, that is difficult to get inserted again in civilization. Oh, but I, I learned how to do it now. Hmm. There are many experiences I've had that connect with what you're saying, although... You know, the experience of having a loved one sick and then die is not an uncommon experience. It's not a uh, something that only a few people experience, right? But no, for no, for no, instance, no. there's a uh, a tree right out the back my back door that I pass on the way to work uh, every day because my work is in a cottage behind my house uh, that some of my wife's ashes are under. And I, I just realized I don't go by that tree ever without uh, some sense of gratitude and warming. Uh, and it has to do with having had love, you know, ha- having been in such a loving place with someone. Uh, I, I've experienced that again. I'm remarried. But, you know, those, those touch points for those uh, experiences that go beyond the everyday uh, are very beautiful, even if they also involve a lot of loss. Absolutely, I feel the same. Yeah. So it's not, it's, not everybody could do it. No, could feel that and could process it like, like you do and, and I do. No? Possibly not. But although I do find I, I I have the sense that someone being open to the experience of Grief, being willing to feel the painful parts does favor uh, a little more room for gratitude. But I'm not a researcher, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> I've just sort of sort of noticed that with, with other people over time. Uh, because I, in your book, uh, there was one point where you went back and you, you said you sobbed. Uh, and that's something that someone might try to not do. Right, but you were you were open to that. That was part of the experience too. Uh, so that implies to me you have room for all of it. 
you know, the beauty and yeah. the and what was truly terrible and and painful yeah. and difficult. It's time for our next break, so we'll um Okay. We'll come back and talk more about the things that came out of that for you. And uh, listeners, feel free to go find us both during the break, me at weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page, and uh, Eduardo Strauch at E-D-U-A-R-D-O-S-T-R-A-U-C-H.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Eduardo Strauch, who, with 16 others, Uh, survived a plane crash in the Andes in 1972 and spent 72 days uh, on a glacier. And Eduardo, um, we're talking about the impact it has on a life to 
go through something like that at quite a young age, 25, I consider so young. I have a 26-year-old right now, and she thinks she's very old, but, <laughs> you know, I think she's pretty young. Uh, so, you know, you, you went on to go back to the business you had had with your, um, with your good friend and to subsequently meet your wife and have children. And I just wondered what you think that uh, we can't know for sure what that all would have been like without this experience, but I'll bet you have ideas how it's influenced you as your life has unfolded in terms of uh, how you participate in your family life, how you, how you do your work. I'd love to hear about that. It was difficult to get, out, get again to into work because uh, my my partner Marcelo he died in the mountains, so I returned alone and well I must continue with all the studio the architecture work just by myself. It was very very tough, very difficult at the beginning, and uh, it was very difficult to to reinsert into society. Maybe I spent a couple of years just to to get 100% again in... Well, I never have been 100% again here, no? because, as I told before, part of myself is still in the mountain. But uh, well, I started doing a quite normal life maybe two years later after putting in all, 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 the, all my, my ideas and my feelings. I met my, my wife, and while uh, well, we married, it's uh, always for, for all the people around us. Uh, it was something that uh, impacted them very, very much. And uh, in many ways, they don't have, they don't have, they don't know clearly how to to manage all all my story with, with myself. My my wife, she didn't uh, get it. She doesn't want to interfere with with my my story and my life. It was always just uh, beside. She came with me twice to the Cordillera, and uh, my children, of course, they they feel kind of, of um, they feel proud because of his father. I believe that so famous story, and uh, I tried to teach them many of, of the things I learned in the, in the Cordillera, but I tried to not to border, border, border him, them, mm-hmm. talking all the time about, about my experience. So I think that they learned many things, and uh, we talk a lot with them. I just wait them to start asking me about, about the story, not to force them with a topic, but maybe... That they were not, they were not interesting to to talk at that moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time that my older one, Olivia, is my, he was uh, five years old, maybe, and he was playing just on my side when I was reading the newspaper, and he looked at me and asked me, "Hey, Dad, what's the taste of a human flesh?" I was so, so surprised. Mm. So he, he, she was so small, and uh, 
she has that idea in, in his mind. I, I answer her, and she continued playing. And uh, some weeks later, she continued asking me, ask, ask, asking me different things. And, uh, well, always talk about that. They all came with me to, to the Andes. I would, I'd like to take them to the Andes because the, the only way that they, they could understand a little bit more to be just in that place, that amazing place and the impacting place. So I remember when Pedro, the youngest, came with me and uh, in a beautiful, clear afternoon, we were just beside the cross, and he looks around, and he said, that now I understand a lot of things. So I, I have always a very nice experience, and then with my children, with my with my wife, around the the story, and we uh, had very very nice moments in the mountain and talking about the story. I would also imagine that the man you might have been and the ways you might have related to your family before that experience. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of putting this on you, and it's not what you feel. But um, there's a certain sense of preciousness I feel in my close relationships that I'm not sure if I had before I experienced death. Um, you know, I'm I'm always aware that it's not promised. That behind, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm aware of that, and. Um, Hopefully, it makes me more present, not so scared, but more present, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I, so I imagine they've, your children have been impacted by that experience in ways that are not just about the story of it or the experience of it, but in who you are. Yeah. I think in, 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 in many ways, I think that. They admire me because of well, what I, what I have lived. No? Yes, yes. And, how, and 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 they realize that they have all the that that power too, no? That, that capabilities in their minds. That's very interesting, and I'm very happy that I guess uh, they really understand and realize the power beings that we are, the humans. And they, oh, they use in many ways that, that power that other people doesn't know that they have and they don't use it. That's amazing because, you know, they've been, I don't know if you've heard about the research where they 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 studied the DNA of, of Holocaust survivors and saw that the DNA was changed six generations down by oh, yeah. that trauma. Um, and they've been talking about it as kind of, you know, uh, an anxiety factor and and more the negative qualities, but it just occurred to me that could of course be be true of what we learn, right? <laughs> of the more positive qualities of it as well. It sounds, you know, your yes. uh, what you sure. just said makes me think that um, you captured what we're talking about in a in a little paragraph from your book. I want to share. Uh, we had achieved the impossible. And life was our reward. But it wasn't the life we we had before. It had become something new. 
Often in moments of difficulty, the vision of those helicopters that came to rescue you is something I conjure as a way of regaining hope. The image represents salvation, a result of effort, sacrifice, and silence. That moment has become, for me, the visual representation of everything I learned on the mountain. Uh, that It's kind of a touchstone then, huh? And you can you can call it back in hard times. Yes, I know. I read in the book that I I know in, I read in the book that you are. Um, I, I by the way, I really uh, appreciate your wife. She wasn't in the book very yes. much, but she honors your experience so much as you describe it, and and that uh, really moves Let me. Her know. And one way in which it moves me is that I know you're planning on uh, someday when you die being buried there. And she thoroughly yes. supports that. I think that's quite beautiful. It was, it was her idea. Oh, it was her idea. So, yes. and. We were just, just standing beside the cross, and, and he said, it was a, You must come here. Your ashes must remain here. Oh, yes. Is that real? Great idea. You will uh, do it. So. Even better. <laughs> she doesn't just go along with it, but it was her idea. Uh, and that, yes. that also implies um, maybe, maybe her gratitude for your experience, the ways in which I'll bet more than anyone else, she probably you know, feels the man you became through that experience. I, I'm going to prefer to think that you already had the seeds of that person, you know, because we we take what we have and build on it, right? But um, yeah. I, I'm sure that your loving self uh, uh, was likely to come out more through this experience. Yes. It's happened by God, yes, absolutely. Well, I've really, really enjoyed talking about this. I hope people will go uh, read the book because there's something about reading um, what we all agree, reading about what we all agree is a, is a very uh, out of the ordinary experience and seeing what human beings, particular human bring, beings bring to that experience that uh, I find incredibly inspiring. Uh, and so okay. I really hope other people okay. go go read your book. Um, and again, it's it's um, out of the silence after the crash is the name of the book. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Cheryl. It was a real pleasure. Next week, I'll have Bonnie Hurst. Her book, Test of Faith, tells the story of surviving her daughter's life sentence. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.